Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, part two of my conversation with Andrew Collins, author of The Cygnus Key, The Denisovan Legacy, Gobekli Tepe, and The Birth of Egypt. We're suddenly realizing that there's an alternative to the idea that the lost civilization may have come from either ancient Atlantis or from space aliens or from just some slow gradual evolution. That it's possible that our own civilization was gifted to us by this archaic human group. And the word archaic really doesn't do them justice because the Denisovans would seem to have been incredibly intelligent people with a completely different mindset that had their own cultures, their own technologies, which probably some of them were lost thereafter and we're only rediscovering to die. If you love Conspiracy Unlimited as much as I love bringing you three new episodes every week, I have a small favor to ask. It will really help me and support this podcast. I need you to fill out a very small, simple survey. You can find the URL for the survey in the episode notes, but I'll also give you the URL right now. To find this quick but important survey, please visit http colon double forward slash survey.libsyn.com L-I-B-S-Y-N Libsyn.com forward slash conspiracy hyphen unlimited again h double t p colon double forward slash survey dot forward slash conspiracy hyphen unlimited thanks again everyone conspiracy unlimited with richard serres pursuing the truth wherever it leads exposing evil and corruption the secret machinations of powerful elites, revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Monday. Well, the boys and I have touched down in Athens and we are on our way to Kalamata, about a three hour drive, where we'll hook up with the mighty Aphrodite who flew out ahead of us by a week to open up the house and get the Wi-Fi ready so I can continue to produce these podcasts. Greece, of course, the birthplace of democracy and philosophy, the home of Pythagoras and Archimedes, Socrates, Aristotle, and Plato. But there was an advanced ancient civilization that predates ancient Greece by tens of thousands of years, and it was centered in what is now Russian Siberia. This extinct human population are now known as the Denisovans. They were of exceptional size, the ancient giants of myth perhaps, but they also achieved high levels of culture and technology. They were also devoted to the cult of the swan, which centered around the constellation Cygnus, thought to be the portal to the sky world and the afterlife. The ancestors of the Denisovans would go on to construct the amazing and mysterious structure in southeastern Turkey known as Gobekli Tepe and the Great Pyramids of Giza. 
Andrew Collins has been investigating the idea of advanced civilizations in prehistory since 1979. He is the co-discoverer of a massive cave complex beneath the Giza Plateau, now known as Collins Caves. He's the author of several books, including From the Ashes of Angels and Gobekli Tepe, Genesis of the Gods. His new book is called The Cygnus Key, The Denisovan Legacy, Gobekli Tepe, and the Birth of Egypt. These technological advancements, and you mentioned the drills, this is fascinating. I want to connect some dots and see if I'm on the mark or off the mark. Because the Bronze Age, not enough copper in Europe to account for the Bronze Age, and but there were copper mine operations on the south shore of Lake Superior, uh, not too far from where I'm sitting. Uh, and I'm and I'm wondering whether th- these giants may have had a role in in mining copper that fueled the Bronze Age. Um, it's possible. It's possible. I mean, let's fill in a few gaps there because obviously we're talking about Siberia. You know, we're talking here now about North America. So, you know, what is the relationship? What is the link? Well, firstly, the Denisovans unquestionably interbred with modern humans how this happened we don't know um, but it, it happened either in central asia or in eastern asia and possibly even also in southeast asia uh, and the hybrid descendants of these people continued west eastwards uh, reaching uh, as far as as melanesia australia new zealand uh, solomon islands in the south pacific the philippines um, and they also got across into both North and South America. Uh, we know this from the fact that there are a large number of modern populations with Denisovan DNA present it today. So we know that they were in North America. Now, if we look at North America, we find that there is uh, a couple of, of tribes more than any other that have Denisovan DNA far more than anybody else. And these are the Ojibwa and the Cree in the area of the Great Lakes and St. Lawrence River area. Um, and how they got this, this, this Denisovan DNA is still a mystery. I mean, this is something which uh, I'm bringing out in a, in a second book, um, which we're in theory not talking about today, which is, the, the, which is going to be called Denisovan Dawn. Uh, which I'm writing with um, Dr. Greg Little, um, one of North America's leading experts on mound building cultures uh, and the DNA of the first peoples of America. I'm doing that now. But we're getting close, therefore, to the the copper mines of of Lake Superior. Um, Because the other important thing is the giants of America themselves. Because as you know, and I'm sure many of your listeners know, there have been literally hundreds, if not thousands, of uh, giant bones yes. being found within Native American mounds. And when these are found, and by the way, I mean, there, there is a lot, myself and Greg, you know, spent a lot of time going around these different locations of the discovery of, um, you know, giant skeletons uh, for this book, um, trying to find out the, the truth behind these stories. And a number of the popular accounts that you find in the newspapers, you know, New York Times and things like this, they are hoaxes, fabrications, things like that. But we are talking specifically about academic reports. We've only gone by academic and scholarly sources. 
And there are hundreds of these that confirm that giant skeletons, seven to seven and a half feet tall, were found within these mounds, mostly from the Adena period, yes. which dates from about 1000 BC down to about 200 BC. Um, and when these skeletons are found, they're found in a prominent position. And what I mean by that is that they're generally in the center of the mound and there are normal sized people around them, you know, almost like in spokes of a wheel, as if it's very clear that the, that the, 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 the larger person is the person in charge. Uh, in various cases, um, the larger person has been found with uh, shamanic paraphernalia um, and you know, prestigious goods, uh, which show that they're of high status. And it's very obvious, therefore, that the, these giants were the elites of the Adena. Uh, and this is something which myself uh, and Greg first brought out in a book called Path of Souls that came out in 2014. And it's now being taken up by various archaeologists who are saying, yeah, I think you've actually got something here. Now, I've also put my neck out to suggest that these giants of America, you will find, are Denisovan hybrid descendants. Uh-huh. Uh, and they will have some kind of Denisovan DNA in them. Fascinating. Uh, probably also, you know, Neanderthal as well, and obviously modern human, of course. Right. Um, but they're not aliens. Let's, let's point this out. Okay. <laughs> so uh, let's uh, let's bring the Denisovans back to Gobekli Tepe and how they connect to to southeastern Turkey and that yeah, edifice. I mean, directly, directly, they don't connect at all because I mean, the the Denisovans are out of the the window by about forty thousand years ago however because they had interbred with modern humans the legacy of the denisovans carries on in these different populations who very clearly went eastwards into places like china japan korea they went southeastwards into you know indonesia uh, malaysia um, myanmar you know all this sort of places they also went south uh, into india and um, pakistan um, and, you know, and that's it. But the reason why you have all this Denisovan DNA going eastwards is because that was what the main thrust of migrations was all about coming out of Africa from a very early date, possibly as early as 200,000 years ago. We, we went eastwards, right? I mean, we'll come on to westwards in a minute, but we mostly went eastwards. Um, and obviously we encountered the Denisovans at a certain point, I call this the Denisovan line. Uh, it's a line that stretches from the Arctic North down through um, Russia um, in the area of the Sayan Mountains, then down through the Altai Mountains, um, south through Central Asia, and eventually ending up in Pakistan uh, and the Indus Valley area and coming to the Arabian Sea around the area of Karachi. That's the, the line which I call the Denisovan line because we don't find any evidence of Denisovan DNA to the west of this line at all uh, with one example and that's in Finland. Uh, and I think that the reason why it's there is because of the migrations westwards of people from beyond the Ural Mountains which form the borders between Europe and Asia, you know, in Russia, in central Russia. Um, and people were flooding westwards across the top, you know, people that we now know as the Uralic or Finno-Ugric peoples. 
uh, and they reached uh, Finland and Scandinavia um, as an indigenous people we know them as, as the Sami uh, today and but that's it but obviously our ancestors were also going out of Africa and going westwards into Europe as well and they were encountering the Neanderthals there um, and there seems to be a, a very strong cut-off line from Central Asia into Europe. But quite clearly, something was going on, and, and because you can trace the stone-tall technology which was being developed at the very final phases of the Denisovans westwards, you can trace it. It's like a paper trail. Um, and, I mean, you know, this is not speculation other people have seen this same trail that comes from Mongolia in the Altai Mountains through the Urals into Europe uh, and down also into Southwest Asia where you find Gebekli Tepe. It takes many thousands of years to happen, but eventually it comes to places like Anatolia where Gebekli Tepe will be constructed. It goes into Europe um, and, and forms various cultures there like the Salutrians, the Swiderians, who I believe were, were a key culture, bringing carrier culture, bringing very advanced ideas across Europe um, and also down into the area of Gebekli Tepe. I believe that they were the elite behind the construction of the monuments at Gebekli Tepe. Their stone tools are present there. I mean, you know, their signatures, you, you can see them there. Um, there's, there's, there's no other signatures of any other culture there other than indigenous peoples who already lived either in, um, you know, uh, the Near East or in the Levant, you know, the area between Egypt and Southeast Turkey. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So where did the uh, the um, Denisovans get their their knowledge? Well, that's a you know a good question, of course. Um, I mean, the Denisovans would seem to have had a different mindset to us. Um, they possessed two genes, which um, were revealed when the genome was. Um, you know, was was, was examined in, in, in 2010. And these genes relate within modern populations to autism. Um, and this is not to say, therefore, that the Denisovans were autistic in, in the sense that we might imagine it today. But it is possible that they developed some of the savant-like qualities using these genes and others um, relating to sides of the brain which we don't really use today and are generally dormant um, within people who are, are, are non-autistic, and that these started opening up and allowed them to see the world and the universe as a whole in a slightly different manner. Maybe this allowed them to, um, to, to, to understand music in a way which, which, you know, which was never understood before, allowed them to create musical instruments. Also, we know that autistic people savant, with savant qualities calendar count 
you know, they have, they have this incredible ability to be able to predict exactly what day, um, you know, a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever, you know, 30, 50, 100 years in the, in the future or in the, in the past. This colored accounting, we know that autistic people have incredible synesthesia um, perspective that, you know, they can see colors when they hear sound. They can see shapes, you know, when they hear sound or people speak. You know, all these things are mixed together in a way which we might see as a jumble, but may have given them an idea relating to the relationship of music, architecture, um, you know, uh, calendar sounds, things like this. And, and here's the other interesting thing. We talked about this place called Malta, where you find these swan pendants showing that there was some kind of early swan cult there uh, 24,000 years ago. Well, there are other very strange artifacts that have been found here, including something we refer to as the Malta Plate. Now, this is a mammoth ivory um you know, flat plate. On one side, it's got these three carved uh, snakes. And on the other side, it's got a series of seven spirals, uh, six small ones and a big one in the center. And the amount of peck marks creating these spirals are very specific to cyclic time associated with the sun and the moon and eclipse cycles. I mean, we're talking about long-term eclipse cycles, so-called triple saros cycles of 54 years. Um, and if you also add up the numbers on this 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 multiplate, which is something that was done by uh, an, an, a Russian archaeologist who wrote a series of papers on on this called uh, Antole um, uh, Larachev. Um, you know, he he believed that the, the amount of, of calendric knowledge on this multiplate was extraordinary. And I, I remember reading about this years ago and just thinking, this is just beyond my understanding. I, I'll leave it until one day when I might, you know, I, I, I might come back to this in some manner. And that time was now because it started to fit in because the numbers that are generated by the cyclic, um, you know, the, the cyclic time are very familiar to us uh, in other ways. Four, three, two, two, one, six, seventy-two, fifty-four. Um, these are all numbers that we find in connection with cyclic time in Vedic tradition in India, for instance, within Chinese mythical uh, cyclic time, uh, within sacred architecture associated with cyclic time in places like Cambodia, Angkor Wat, Angkor Thom, in Java at Boro Buddha. Um, which is this huge Buddhist temple complex there, 432 Buddhas, this, that, and the other. I mean, and it's there in Mesopotamia within the, the, the ancient texts, talk about the rules of kings, 432,000 years, and other multiples of 432. It's there in Norse mythology, and as I show in the Cygnus Key, it's there also in ancient Egypt within the construction of the Great Pyramid and the geometry associated with the Giza pyramid field. You mentioned Mesopotamia. Sorry, Andrew, yeah. you mentioned Mesopotamia. I'm wondering about yeah. uh, Sumer and and the any connection between the Denisovians and and Sumer or even the Anunnaki of legend. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean I mean the Anunnaki um, is 
essentially a, a phenomena in its own right. I mean, some people today would like to see them as space aliens that came down here 250,000 years ago, were in South Africa, you know, created humanity to mine for gold, and the gold was then taken off planet, end of story. Um, I don't see the, the Anunnaki in this way at all, and that's certainly not what the Sumerian texts say. Um, they talk about them as the creators, the builders of human civilization uh, within what appears to be Mesopotamia. Uh, they're anthropomorphic, um, they have human-like qualities, and there's nothing really to disconnect them with you know, flesh and blood human beings. Uh, and the other important thing is that the term Anunnaki is a very late form of their original name, which was Anuna. The Anuna means, well, it can mean the gods of the sky, but it can equally mean the sky people. And when it means the sky people, it therefore intimates to me an elite with knowledge of the stars and our connection with the stars the exact type of knowledge that we are finding in association with Gobekli Tepe, with ancient Egypt, with the Great Pyramids, the mound-building cultures in North America, and in many other parts of the world. In other words, they are the, the elite with the knowledge of our connection, not just with the stars, but with the death journey, the death journey that allowed us to exist, to incarnate in the first place, but also to return back to the source at death. Now this was valuable knowledge. Not everybody would have this knowledge. Most people in any community, when they died, that was it. You know, they would be buried in some capacity or their body would be disposed by their families and that was that. But the elites had this knowledge of how to get back to the divine source. And this would have been very, very valuable information. Uh, and I think that this is something that we need to start to understand that, you know, today we think that we have knowledge of, let's say, heaven through monotheistic traditions and the fact that we'll go there in death. The ancient people didn't know this sort of information. You know, the common people, if you like, unfortunately had a different understanding and view of life and death. Um, but there were elites, and those elites had been around since probably the Upper Paleolithic Age, and many of them would unquestionably have been the descendants of not just the Denisovans, but also of the, the, of the Neanderthals. They would have been elites. They would have been elite hybrid groups. Um, and this is why they would have looked different and why they would have been responded to differently by the cultures who came into contact with them. The Horrible Movie Podcast is a weekly show hosted by Jack Altermat. Jack invites a guest who brings a horrible theater-released movie to dissect. Jack and his guests take you through the highs and lows of the movie and what makes it horrible. New movies, old movies, cult classics, or box office busts. No movie is spared or safe from the Horrible Movie Podcast. It's a fun show with clean language. It's available through Spreaker.com, Apple Podcasts, StudioDNA.media, and everywhere you get your podcasts. Remember, just because it's from Hollywood doesn't mean it isn't horrible. Richard has tiny talking insects living in his sock drawer. We have bags and we are living in Richard's sock drawer. Conspiracy Unlimited. Talk, 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 talk.
with Richard Serrett. Andrew Collins, the author of The Cygnus Key, is here. So we owe so much of, of cosmology, uh, our, our civil, modern civilization, really, to the, the, the Denisovans. But why is this information then seemingly being suppressed? Why is it so threatening, do you think? Um, well, it's not being suppressed uh, in any way. I mean, the, the thing about the Denisovans is that, that this is all brand new. This is, this, is, this is something that myself and my contemporaries, people like Graham Hancock and Robert Schock and, you know, and others are, are just getting into for the first time because we're suddenly realizing that there's an alternative to the idea that the lost civilization may have come from either ancient Atlantis or from space aliens or from just some slow gradual evolution that it's possible that our own civilization was gifted to us by this archaic human group and the word archaic really doesn't do them justice because the Denisovans would seem to have been incredibly intelligent people with a completely different mindset that had their own cultures um, their own um, their own technologies which probably some of them were lost thereafter and we're only rediscovering today and this is why this is so important I mean I'm writing about this in the Cygnus Key um, the new book I'm doing with Greg Little you know the Denisovan Dawn which is coming out next year Graham Hancock is writing a book called America Before that will be out by the, by the end of the year that will be full of material on Denisovans this is big, big news, you know, and there is no way that we can ignore this anymore. And the academics, obviously, they will poo-poo books by myself and Graham Hancock and whatever, but secretly they will be looking at this, this and thinking, yeah, you know, the Denisovans clearly were very, very important in the evolution of what we'd call human behavior and that this can no longer be ignored. Well, you say not being suppressed, but for example, you know, we we hear tales of of uh, artifacts being found in these these Native American burial mounds being shipped to the Smithsonian, and yet we don't see you know giant skeletal remains on display. Uh, there, I mean, there does seem to be there does seem to be this uh, approach that if something doesn't fit the official narrative of of human history, then it must be pushed aside, disregarded, uh, even discredited. Oh, well, absolutely. I mean, this is something that, that's been there for 200 years or, or more uh, within the academic community. Anything that they don't like, they suppress. Yes, of course. Um, but, you know, the truth prevails eventually. And, I mean, you talked about the Smithsonian thing. Well, there's a lot of conspiracy theories about you know, the, the, the archaeologists of the Smithsonian, you know, burying giant bones and, and things like this and destroying them. But the truth of the matter is that, firstly, they did definitely have a, a large number of, of, of giant skeletons. And these are recorded academically as having been transported to the Smithsonian. It was their archaeologists doing the excavations at the mounds in the first place. So they must have gone and ended up there. But the, prob the bigger problem is the stupidity of humankind because what happened at the end of the 1980s, beginning of the 1990s, is the so-called NAGPRA law came into force. And this, 
basically meant that any bones that were considered to be of an indigenous peoples in North America, uh, well, I should say the United States, Canada got a different law, had to be repatriated to whatever tribe was closest to where the bones had been found in the first place. And literally millions of bones were taken from state um, museums and um, institutions across the United States, given back to the native people for reburial in whatever manner that they saw fit. And I mean, we're not just talking about bones of a few hundred years before you know, the, the historical period. We're talking about archaic bones that related 10,000, 15,000 years, and they've all disappeared now. So the, iron, the irony of this, and I mean, obviously I understand why they did it, but the irony of it is that just a couple of years later, DNA testing came in, and all of those bones are now gone. So we can't test anything. And it's illegal. You have to get special dispensation for any kind of DNA testing of the remains of indigenous peoples in the United States now. It's the same in Australia. In fact, it's even worse in Australia. Um, and it's, it's, it's a sad situation. That The morals of it are probably outside the realms of this interview, but it's a situation which means that we cannot test any giant bone to find out it's, it's you know, it, it's ancestry. We cannot find whether it's modern human, it's Neanderthal, it's Denisovan or something else. We, we just can't do it. Though. What about efforts in, in Siberia? What about the present Russian regime? Are they interested in this? Are they uh, researching this? Oh, God, yes, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, you know, the Russians are obviously at the forefront of this. I mean, they don't have the same stigmas uh, that, um, that, that are present, let's say, in the United States and, and Australia, uh, plus in China, uh, brand new, um, you know, genetic testing laboratories are being set up at this time, also in India, um, and very exciting things are going to be coming out of this. I mean, you know, at the back of all of this is the problems that we've had within anthropology over the past hundred years. You know, the anthropology has been abused and misused by people for things like ethnic cleansing, um, you know, and Holocaust and stuff like that, uh, and, and and segregation and you know all the bad things of, that that we know that have happened, and so it's understandable why there's this this reluctance to even embrace the ideas of different types of humans existing in the past that, you know, whether they be Denisovans, Neanderthals, whatever. But um, it's, it's something which through genet the genetic sciences is, being, is coming back into the fore and it cannot be ignored anymore. This is changing everything. Genetics is changing everything today and it's such an exciting time to see the results coming in, which you can do virtually every few months now. You know, we're finding out new discoveries about Neanderthals, Denisovans, and our relationship, you know, to these archaic communities. Um, and as I said, I think that we're beginning to understand that if civilization was gifted to us, it was not gifted gifted by the Atlanteans or by space aliens, but by these archaic human populations that existed prior to the rise of our own human group.
Andrew, a couple of things that come immediately to mind. One is the ancient alien folks are not going to, you're going to be taken off their Christmas card list. <laughs> um, no, no, it's a good point. Um, I mean, look, you know, they, they, they know very well that, that my views are that I don't believe that flesh and blood aliens came down here in the past and, you know, told us what to do. Uh, I don't believe that. I believe it's a great idea. And, you know, I don't say that I would rule it out. But what I do believe, and this is perhaps even more enigmatic, is that through quantum entanglement, you know, the idea that particles, including those of, of the brains of, of intelligent beings, um, are interlinked, that the more we understand about entanglement and that there is a relationship, a connection between all of us that explains things like telepathy, precognition, even mind over matter, that if we're beginning to understand this, then extraterrestrial intelligences probably have known this for thousands, if not millions of years, um, and that they can connect with us through entanglement, not just to send us pretty pictures or give us messages, but also to control our actions on a very, very subtle level. And what I mean by that is that they could well have been affecting human evolution. Um, and I see this as a very real possibility, and I think it's something that we should be looking at. And I think that if anybody, that it was the Denisovans that first felt and understood this cosmic connection. And I think it's the reason why we look towards the stars for our origin. You know, we don't know why. You know, we're not quite sure what that connection is. We know it's got something to do with our eternal souls and possibly our earliest ancestors. But I think that it has something to do with the fact that human evolution is influenced by non-human, non-terrestrial intelligences, possibly of an extraterrestrial nature. Um, and it's for this reason that I think that, you know, we shouldn't throw out the baby with the bathwater here as far as ancient aliens are concerned. And that's why I support that particular field as well. Where are you headed next in terms of your research, Andrew? Um, yes, well, I would say I've just finished my account, so uh, I can go wherever I want. Um, <laughs> the, no, the, no. having said that, I, I have sub submitted a book called Denisov and Dold um, to um, the publishers, which will be out next year. As I say, it's co-written uh, with my friend and colleague, uh, Dr. Greg Little. Uh, he's, uh, he's got his own many books on, on the you know in the fields of, of Native American mound building cultures and stuff like that already available um, and uh, on top of that I, I need to do a new book on the Great Pyramid basically the ultimate Great Pyramid book um, I was there in Egypt earlier on this year uh, as some of your listeners will know I discovered a whole uh, cave complex beneath the um, the Giza Plateau which the Collins gone, Caves uh, they've named them after you yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> some people call it that. Um, and, uh, you know, and the significance of those caves was not brought out in an earlier book that I wrote on the subject called Beneath the Pyramids that came out in 2009. Uh, I was back in Egypt this year. I now understand the significance of those caves. Um, and it is mind-blowing, I tell you. And I need to do a book on this subject, um, uh, which, you know, hopefully I'll look at next. The Cygnus Key, the Denisovan Legacy, Gobekli Tepe, and the Birth of Egypt. How do people get a copy of this book? 
easy. Just go on to Amazon or Barnes & Noble um, or any good online bookstore and uh, you should be able to find it. Uh, and if you go down your local physical material bookstore, who knows, you might find a copy there as well. And how do people so, reach out to you if they wish to? Yes, um, my website's andrewcollins.com. If you're interested in any of these subjects we've talked about, there are many articles um, you know, available there. Uh, we also do tours to you know, these places. We're actually going to go out to all of the Denisovan sites in Siberia next July, if anybody wants to come along with us. Um, and we have other tours. We're going back to Gobekli Tepe in um, October, um, seeing that and a whole lot of other sites. It's just become a UNESCO site. It's got a nice new roof over it. Uh, and it's an incredible experience going there. And we always discover new stuff when we go there as well. So, you know, be part of that whole research process. Uh, we're also going to Egypt and Cambodia and Java next year. So, um, you know, it's all there on andrewcollins.com on the website. And obviously follow me on Facebook and uh, Twitter. Well, speaking of incredible experiences, it has been just that, speaking with you, uh, Andrew, a delight to, uh, to meet you, and I've enjoyed this conversation immensely. Thank you. My pleasure. Hope you enjoyed our two-part series on the Denisovan legacy, the cult of the swan in the Cygnus constellation, and the construction of Gobekli Tepe. Now, before I dim the lights in my little... Oh, oh wait a minute. I'm not in my little studio beneath the stairs. How about this? Uh, let's see. Before I say goodnight to the moon over the Messinian Bay, I'm going to fill you in on what's in store for episode 102 of Conspiracy Unlimited. He knew that we had finally solved the case through his confession. The history of rock and roll is littered with suspicious deaths and the unexplainable. The last thing he said to anybody was to Suge Knight, and it was on Dying Man. Lennon, Hendrix, Presley, Jim Morrison, the truth told by the experts and the people there. Revelations that will blow your mind. The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone with Richard Serrett. Listen and subscribe at Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Coming up next on Conspiracy Unlimited, could a directed energy weapon be behind the wildfires in California and here in Greece? Dr. Judy Wood, the author of Where Did the Towers Go?, will be here to discuss. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. Kalenikta. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. <laughs>